We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the June 14th edition of the World Wire NFL podcast brought to you by Circus Sports. We're talking Jim Coventry's positional rankings on today's show, obviously going over quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers, tight ends. We just got off of Jim doing uh, his Jim Coventry World Wire online championship, putting his rankings to the test. Now he's sharing it to the world uh, as we get closer to NFL draft, well, I guess NFL season, but also fantasy draft season. Looking forward to diving into that. Let's get right. Uh, yeah, let's get right to it. Here. <laughs> Welcome, everyone, to the June 14th edition of the Worldwide NFL Podcast, brought to you by Super Sports. I'm Joe Bartle. You can follow me at JB Fantasy Sports. Alongside me every Wednesday is Jim Coventry. You can follow him at Jim Coventry NFL on Twitter. Uh, we've been talking a lot about different places for players and new situations, and I think that all comes to a head here with your rankings specifically, Jim. So you do this for Rotowire. I think your rankings actually appear on Yahoo as well, too. Um, you've put them to the test in different expert drafts, both on the SiriusXM channel, the Jim Coventry one. There's going to be more coming up soon with the Kings Classic as well, which I'm excited to dive into as we get closer to the start of the preseason. Obviously, they do that right around the Hall of Fame. So there's a lot of different um, ways in which we can approach the rankings themselves. I I think the best idea is to meld what we've discussed in past weeks with the different tiered systems. So, okay, you want to go quarterback high. What does that mean? What are the mid-tier quarterbacks You know, later on? And, and play that out by position. So, for example, I would imagine most people would assume this is the case. You have Patrick Mahomes, number one, Josh Allen, number two, Jalen Hurts, three. We saw last week where we you're taking Justin Fields in that same tier, in that same category, and Joe Burrow as well was selected early on. Uh, Justin Herbert, Lamar Jackson, Deshaun Watson represent the quarterbacks six through eight. So I guess my question to you first, Jim, is where is that tier marker for you with these higher-end quarterbacks? So I typically don't like to spend the earliest of picks on quarterbacks, but I also understand that in this year's drafts, and I do not think this trend is changing, the top seven or eight quarterbacks are going to be gone in the fifth round this year. And many of us don't like the drop-off. So I will watch that tier of Mahomes, Allen, and Hurts go off the board And then I will begin shopping for my quarterback. 
Now, I am happy to get my next tier of four, which is Fields, Burrow, Herbert, and Jackson. And if my draft pick necessitates me getting one of them, I am very happy with any one of those. Once those seven pass, I am far less comfortable with the rest of the quarterback board. My fail safe at that point is Deshaun Watson. I have him over Trevor Lawrence. People make the case for putting Lawrence ahead because Lawrence is on a career trajectory that seems to be going up rapidly and you bring in Calvin Ridley. So there's a great case to be made there. However, my narrative on Deshaun Watson is simple. I believe that coming back from almost two years off, obviously he caused a lot of trouble and he probably wasn't mentally in a great place either because of the trouble he caused. I believe that he was not ready for the speed of the game last year. I do believe now with played a third of a half of the season, somewhere around there, and now another offseason training camp, he's still in his 20s. He, he's not going to lose his talent. I do believe the speed of the game comes back, and he was a top four quarterback with the Texans with decent weapons, DeAndre Hopkins, sometimes Will Fuller, three, four games a year or whatever it was. But I do think Deshaun Watson comes roaring back. He's my fail safe once the seven go, and I am happy if I get Watson in drafts as my eighth quarterback. Interesting. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm going to be fading Deshaun Watson, I guess, for other reasons. I just don't care to have him on any of my teams and, and probably won't. And, you know, that's that's fine. That's my prerogative, really, is kind of how it feels like. And we've done that in the past with Joe Mixon and Tyreek Hill, stuff like that. It's fine. Um, I would imagine the stink from that situation last year goes a little bit more away as time goes on. And that might benefit Watson, too, which kind of goes back to your point as well, getting more back up to game speed, uh, less pressure, you know, possibly. Although I don't know if that ever really leaves Deshaun Watson throughout his career. So even a quarterback eight, Lawrence, like you mentioned, a little bit lower than Watson at nine. It's Anthony Richardson at 10 that I think is going to be high for a lot of people. And we talked about last week when he went in the 10th round in a six points per passing touchdown league, that might be a little bit high. But if you are in your standard leagues and you're listening to this podcast thinking, how am I going to have a leg up in my friends and family leagues? We've had Mahomes in 2018, uh, Lamar Jackson in 2020 as well, too, where these guys in that quarterback 10 through 14 range there's always somebody that pops off and goes off way higher. Why not Anthony Richardson with the rushing ability that he has, right? Yes. So my expectation is this. Right now, the Colts have five tight ends in their tight end room, and they're all decent to good. They just drafted one this year. But um, they also have Jonathan Taylor. The offensive line was criticized last year. It was pass protection where they struggled. The run blocking wasn't as good as it had been, but it was quite good. And I do think Ryan Kelly and Quentin Nelson, who are both still in their 20s, I believe either or both of them can bounce back. My whole point is this. they With the personnel on their roster, and they're not going to win with Gardner Minshew. They know that. He will not win them games. He'll lose more games than he wins for them. But if you install an RPO offense with Taylor, those tight ends, and Anthony Richardson, it's an explosive running game you're looking at. And I know everybody gets sick of me saying this. Tim Tebow was a strong QB1 whenever he was starting. And look, he wasn't an NFL passer. That wasn't even a question. So Anthony Richardson, it's based on that. He is going to run. He's going to be an explosive runner. He may have the best quarterback athletic profile we've seen. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I wholeheartedly agree. And everyone wants to make the case for Shane Steichen now, new head coach for the Colts. And, oh, look what he did with Jalen Hurts. I, I I like to pump the brakes not slightly because 
they're, they're different body types, right? Like Jalen Hurts um, theoretically didn't have the arm strength that Anthony Richardson could have. Um, Richardson is bigger and possibly just as mobile as, as Jalen Hurts is. So the comparisons never really, it doesn't work in that sense. The part that I think matters and is really crucial to the Anthony Richardson fantasy hype context, if Shane Steichen can do what he did with Jalen Hurts last year, you're talking about possibly a more explosive athlete with Anthony Richardson now. So it's almost like the sky's the limit type of deal when you're working with an Anthony Richardson. Now, he's more raw, obviously, and wasn't as successful at Florida. Okay, there, there's all those points that you can make. But I think at the end of the day, athleticism tends to win out in the NFL. And that's where Anthony Richardson can be key with a guy that we've seen do less. And I know Jalen Hurts, it's, it's weird to think that he's less of an athlete. But by all accounts, Anthony Richardson is absolutely insane. He's going to be like a once-in-a-generation athlete at the quarterback position. And you're going to have a guy that has done it before very successfully. It's not as easy of a cross comparison as he did with um, Josh Allen to Daniel Jones and Brian Dable. Like that one was like, oh yeah, literally if there's another quarterback I could pick to copy or to meld uh, or, or to like prototype Josh Allen, it's Daniel Jones. That's not as easy of a cross comparison, but I trust Shane Steichen as an offensive mind in the NFL. And I think that's kind of the key part for me, why I think Anthony Richardson deserves to be in this upper tier at quarterback. The other guys, Dak Prescott, Kirk Cousins, Tua, Daniel Jones, Aaron Rodgers, quarterbacks 11 through 15. I think every one of those, you can kind of shrug your shoulders. It makes sense as to why they, they go in that range. Um, and then there's the tier after that. Geno Smith, Jared Goff, Jordan Love, Derek Carr. Okay, fine. Uh, and if you're taking any of those, it's likely with the assumption, unless you're in a deeper league, quarterback two. I'm wondering in those, in those super flex leagues where you're really having to make a decision on quarterback two or three, you have Baker Mayfield at quarterback 23. For context, Stafford 22, Russell Wilson 21, Stroud 25, Kenny Pickett 24. What's with the Baker Mayfield hype, Mr. Jim? I mean, listen, who's behind him? I mean, Kenny Pickett was terrible last year. He threw more interceptions and touchdowns and it wasn't close. It was like two to eight for a while. And, and so I, I don't think he's an NFL quarterback. I think he's a career backup. And then behind him, CJ Stroud. You know, we don't know what we're getting here. This, I mean, the weapons wise, I'm very, very, I like Chark a bit, but he isn't healthy. So we looked through this list. Ryan Tannehill, we don't know if he'll be with the team and if they're going to be run heavy. Garoppolo, Ritter. So these are Trey Lance. These are all guys that they're, they're all in sketchy situations. Baker Mayfield, if nothing else, he's got Mike Evans. He's got Chris Godwin. They're probably defensively not going to be as good as they were. And the one thing about Stafford is this. Not Stafford, I'm sorry. Baker Mayfield. If a play is done on schedule, he tends to be okay. Not a, he's not great, not very good, but if he's on schedule, he's okay. Well, Chris Godwin and Mike Evans are about as on schedule as it gets. That you know where they're going to be, you can count on them. They can win in different ways. You throw it up to Mike Evans, you just throw it ahead of Chris Godwin, and they will do the rest for you. So I think that Mayfield is in a situation, again, he's quarterback 23. But I do think with those weapons, and I think they're going to have to throw a bit. Yeah, I think Baker Mayfield, there have been times where he's got a raw deal. He had a couple of years where he was decent, but then he's had a couple of years where the offense was running off schedule and Odell Beckham didn't help him. Odell Beckham was rarely where he was supposed to be when he needed to be. He freelanced a lot. And when he was waving his hand, like, I'm open, I'm open. He wasn't supposed to be there. He read something. Mayfield can't read that. And, and so I'm not, this is not a ringing endorsement, Baker Mayfield. But at the end of the QB2 range, yeah, I think 
Mike Evans or Chris Godwin make that a bet. If if Trask were to win the job, does that you'd immediately put Trask in there, or is it kind of like a I need to actually see Trask do it on the NFL field before I feel comfortable going at quarterback? Yeah, Baker Mayfield because of his NFL experience, whether that's good experience or not, that's another sure. you know point. I would not put Trask immediately there because I don't know what we have in him. We're, we're gonna if if that happens, and I I don't know this was a couple of weeks ago, but we saw the video of the quarterback competition. I'm putting that in quotes of Baker Mayfield and Kyle Trask throwing in routes uh, and post routes and just like missing the both Godwin and Evans by 15 yards. I mean, it it looked as bad as you'd imagine a quarterback competition between Baker Mayfield and Kyle Trask could look. Um, but like if, if Trask were to win, there will be a certain subsection of people doing the, hey, he's going to run the ball a lot. There's He's going to have a fantasy floor because of his rushing yards. And it, like we did that last year with Fields. It worked out. People are going to say, oh, that's how you get Lamar Jackson, yada, yada. This is this is a level of quarterback bad in the another way I haven't seen in quite some time. Like you've you've mentioned Tim Tebow on a couple of occasions. I don't know if Kyle Trask is that bad of a thrower as Tim Tebow, but it's it's kind of close. Like this this is not an NFL level quarterback. If he's a runner, fine. Like I almost feel like it's Taysom Hill to a lesser extent, even though that would be Kyle Trask your starter. Just keep that in mind. Um, if you're buying the narrative that Kyle Trask could win the starting job uh, for the Buccaneers. That would be a really, really bad situation. And, and as somebody that likes Chris Godwin and likes Mike Evans well enough, even if it was Baker Mayfield's quarterback, yeah, I would be out on, on Kyle Trask. In there. So I agree with you that I'm not slotting him in at 23 if that's the case. Let's talk about running backs, um, Jim. We saw last week uh, with your beat Jim Coventry draft that it, it wasn't as high of a premium with first-round guys. He had McCaffrey go ahead. He had Austin, uh, Austin Eckler go in the first round. B. John Robinson won in the first round. But someone like Saquon Barkley ended up being mid-second round. And you got mid, uh, Nick Chubb at the end of the second round with your starting uh, running back one as well, too. So can we can we talk about a little bit of the upper echelon running backs and how you sort of see the top five or six more or less going? Yeah, and so I, we're not going to spend a lot of time on Christian McCaffrey, and I know he's just a year removed from missing a lot of time in two previous years. But what I'm most excited about is – Kyle Shanahan, what he did with like no time to prepare with McCaffrey, got him in a midseason trade. He had an offseason to craft an offense around McCaffrey. And the genius of Kyle Shanahan, we are going to see stuff that is going to blow our minds. But Christian McCaffrey is going to be put in positions to succeed like he's never been before. And it's not like defenses could completely sell out to stop him. I mean, you've got George Kittle, you've got Debo Samuel, you got Brandon Ayuk. These are A level players. Brandon Ayuk is a, a phenomenal football player, just doesn't get used a lot. But with the weapons they have, yeah, McCaffrey's going to be in a great spot. Eckler, you know, right now you have to have met number two because of what he's done the two last years and he's not 30 yet, which is a good sign. Um, I do hope they bring in a running back that can get some of those early down carries to give him a break. I think efficiency would go up. Imagine that, as efficient as he is, but less carries would be better for him. Now, I, I, there are concerns because I think with the new coaching regime, Joe Lombardi out, Kellen Moore in, I think that they want to throw the ball a lot more, put the team on their star quarterback shoulders. And if that's the case, I don't think you're running the offense through a running back and a slot receiver. I think Mike Williams is more involved. I even think the rookie Quinton Johnson's more involved because they want to get that ball downfield. And then you open up space for Eckler and for Allen, but they're more efficient. And then Jonathan Taylor, last thing before I move out of this one is 
I mentioned earlier about Anthony Richardson, the mobile quarterback always helps the running back because he freezes those linebackers for a nanosecond because they don't know what to do with them. And that is going to give Taylor a benefit he hasn't had in his career. And I said earlier, I do expect at least a bounce back from at least one of Quentin Nelson or Ryan Kelly. And, and so, yeah, overall, Taylor's in a great spot. And then Bijan, clearly with Arthur Smith, he's going to get all the work he can handle in a team that is designed formationally to maximize the run. Just real quick with Jonathan Taylor, because I think it's a key point. I don't believe what we saw in 2021 was a mirage. I, I mean, oh, like 18 touchdowns, I guess 20 total, right? Uh, over 2,000 total yards. Maybe there's lesser, but a guy that runs for 13, 1,400 yards efficiently um, and, and is still scoring very clearly one of the top red zone threats. I, I want to, I would almost assume people are going to think it's a one year wonder for Jonathan Taylor when it's not the case. And even if Anthony Richardson doesn't add a, different dimension to their offense. And I think he will. I agree with you on that. I would sooner bet talent-wise, Jonathan Taylor, especially who's not dealing with uh, a high ankle sprain that he seemed to kind of come back a little bit too early on and kept him down a little bit towards the end of the season. Like he, he's just going to return to form. Like I, I, I truly believe that's going to be the case. There's a lot to expect that, okay, maybe on an outlier perspective, the Colts just weren't all that good last year. You're saying an outlier maybe will happen this year and, and a little bit higher there's going to be an evening out for it. So I like Jonathan Taylor a lot. And I've seen him go now into the first round. Uh, you could kind of one, two, him sort of in that uh, nine, 10, 11 range. If there are savvy people drafting receivers higher, I will take Jonathan Taylor in that situation every single time. I, I know the listening audience right now, we're in the middle of June. We, they're largely dynasty people. I'm not going to knock B. John Robinson. I get a little bit worried about the, it's the first round rookie, Najee Harris vibes, not first round rookie. Ezekiel Elliott or Saquon Barkley vibes where you're just giving Bijan a whole bunch of opportunities and maybe it isn't as effective, but we'll have to see. I think Desmond Ritter is actually a better quarterback than a lot of people might believe, but more importantly, he's an athlete. And it's the same concept that we have with Anthony Richardson and other of these uh, other quarterbacks where he's going to benefit things as a runner. I think Bijan will be successful too, and you know, he's catching passes. So Nick Chubb, Saquon Barkley, Derek Henry, kind of in that court, uh, sorry, quarterback, running back to uh, second round third round tier. I'm curious on Brees Hall because there's, I like the optimism a lot. And if you say best case scenario for Aaron Rodgers in the Jets offense is Garrett Wilson's getting 1300 receiving yards. Rodgers is throwing at minimum 4,500 uh, yards and 30 passing touchdowns. Brees Hall looked like the best player offensively for the Jets whenever he was healthy. And now we'll be in an offense that is actually good and has an actually good quarterback and, and can not be so one dimensional, at least as to, Who's going to beat us every single play offensively? And yet we have to worry a little bit about the, the knee injury and everything else like with Priest Hall, right? So where do you feel like he lands in your tier and what you're considering at, uh, at, the, at the running back rankings? I mean, he's not going to go past the mid-third round in any draft. He's going to go in the second round in a lot of drafts. So you're going to have to aggressively target Brees Hall to get him. There will be at least one or two managers in almost every league that will have the eye on him. And we're as only as good as our information. And the information we seem to be getting, which has been a steady drumbeat on Brees Hall, is that he will be ready to go when the season starts. Now, does that mean the first few weeks they lighten his carry load? Yeah, maybe so. He still could be productive. But, I mean, I'd be surprised at this point by week four if he wasn't up to a full workload. And I think that's fine enough for me. And we saw an elite player. And had he not had the ACL, he could be the second running back off the board this year. 
I mean, he could have been after McCaffrey. It's very possible that he played through. And so it's possible you're getting a screaming value on Brees Hall. Now, if he's not fully recovered from the injury, that's clearly the downside. Yeah, and it almost feels a little bit like J.K. Dobbins last year where, oh, no, he'll be ready. Well, actually, I don't know. And then obviously didn't play to start the season. And we've had that reverse occur with Javante Williams where Sean Payton and the Broncos seem adamant over the past couple weeks that he will, in fact, be able to play and he will be ready week one. And I never know what I can trust with it. So that makes me a little bit nervous. Um, I had went and I will I, I continue to mention the story because I think it's just important. I went to the Packers Jets game last year live. Like Brees Hall looked every bit as one of the best running backs in the league. I mean, it was like night and day what he did to that Packers defense. And that's what he did for the first seven or eight weeks of his career was just continue to light teams up. And I know that there's some depth the Jets have at running back and they probably don't give Brees Hall a ton of carries right away. He can be a true three down guy. And if you are getting some value with people concerned that he might not start the season, I'm going to make the risk. I'm, I'm going to roll the dice that I'm going to get peak Brees Hall sooner rather than later in an offense that I think is going to be better than it was sooner rather than later. So yeah, I, I like him a lot. I will be, we'll see, you know, we'll, we're getting closer and closer to uh, our Las Vegas draft, which I feel like is when uh, everyone is in full draft season. I want to know what Brees Hall's value is then. And I'll be kind of able to uh, dictate how I want to do drafts at that point. So you have Brees Hall in that firm end of second, mid second round tier right now, possibly could be falling as we go on throughout draft season. Jameer Gibbs is another one. We talked, we saw him in the fourth round in your beat Jim Coventry draft. In a full-point PPR league, I kind of wonder if he doesn't go even earlier by the end of draft season. Everyone's excited about B. John Robinson. Well, there's there's no um, DeAndre Swift anymore. It's, it's David Montgomery, who you and I both don't think is going to be a critical factor. But even if Gibbs is just in that DeAndre Swift role, I mean, that was a guy that got 1,200 total yards most seasons, and they weren't even using him all that much because he was hurt or whatever else. You know, the one thing I will say, and I believe Mario Puig feels the same way, Jameer Gibbs, I don't believe is as good of an explosive as a runner as DeAndre Swift. I, I think we both believe Swift is a far more dynamic athlete. Gibbs is explosive. Don't get me wrong. But I tell you what, when the ball is in Swift's hands, he is something special. We would see him get seven or eight touches and put up 100 yards from scrimmage in games. And it was like recently he did this. And so he is like, but regardless, Gibbs is in a great spot here. And clearly spending that high of a pick on him, they have plans for him. And so where he went in the draft I was just in, he was in um, NFFC. He was the 15th running back off the board. I have as my 16th. So that's in that ballpark. So it seems like a pretty fair ranking of where we have him. Now, I know before the show, you asked about a player I'd ranked above him. I have Miles Sanders ahead of him, Joe Bartle. Mm, yeah, yeah, that's that's a good point too. You know, new Panthers running back obviously was super successful with the Eagles last year, gets that big ticket deal with the Panthers, theoretically to help Bryce Young uh, and really a young offense for the Panthers overall get a bit more mature, have a consistent pace guy. I'm curious why you have him as high as you do. I believe you have him ranked at uh, number 15 among running backs. So just for, for comparison, Aaron Jones, 14, Josh Jacobs, 13, ETN, 12, from Stevenson, 11. I've seen Stevenson go in the second round or very beginning of the third round, just about every time. So we're talking about a mid-third round, possibly even higher, Miles Sanders landing spot, which which seems aggressive if you believe the Panthers are going to struggle offensively this season. Yeah, the Panthers spend all this money to bring Miles Sanders in. 
the talk has been consistent. They want him to be a three down back who's catching the football. Now, in his Philadelphia time, he caught 50 passes as a rookie, 28 the next year, 26, 20. So that number went steadily down. They had no interest in Philadelphia and using him in a receiving capacity. Yet he came into the league as a player who was expected to be a very big factor as a receiver. Carolina seems to want him in that role. And if you're going to tell me we have a three down back, the team is financially committed to him. The line is emerging. The tackles are better than the interior, but the interior is not catastrophic. Not the Eagles line. He's going to miss that line and he's going to miss Jalen Hurts. But I think the volume and the opportunity that he's going to get here is why I have Mahab Gibbs. David Montgomery is going to take, I call it the innings eater. He's going to take some of those carries between the tackles to keep Gibbs fresh. Miles Sanders, I think Chuba Hubbard is not a big threat to the workload of Miles Sanders. Again, they purposely paid him to bring him in. Yeah, it's it's a good point. Um, you've been in on in on uh, James Conner. We've talked about him a bunch of times. So we need to go over them further. But the idea is he's a three-down back. And more importantly, is Keontae Ingram really going to be playing more over James Conner? No. You know, once Conner misses time and he does, fine, be what it may. But for the most part, Conner's your three-down guy. Miles Sanders probably is that same sort of capacity too. Like, I, I don't mind Chuba Hubbard. Uh, I, I liked him a lot coming out of college. and. I feel like he's been a little bit disappointed in that sense. He's not as talented as Miles Sanders, and the Panthers are very committed to him as well, too. I get a little bit worried. Um, you know, like we always say, okay, so like a uh, Mingo, for example, Jonathan Mingo, who the Panthers drafted in the second round. Oh, well, he's a second round selection. He was 37 overall. He really early. The Panthers have to be committed. It doesn't work that way all the time. Like you might draft a player with the idea that you'll start him down the road. I think about the Bengals last year drafting Daxton Hill. Well, no, they are planning their safeties leaving this offseason, and then he'll have a year as a starter. Teams can do that. The Panthers are kind of operating that same way with their receivers. It doesn't make sense that they would do that with the running backs, though, especially with how much money they've invested with Sanders. I will buy the investment with money as opposed to investment in draft capital. And I think people sometimes make them the same, and they're not. Yes. Joe, I want to add one thing. On my draft rankings, I actually have James Conner purposely low. I have met running back 18. I believe he is more like running back 14 or 15. The reason I have him low, every draft I've been in, he falls at a fifth or the sixth round. And this is across the board, important drafts, industry drafts. And because his draft cost is so affordable, I lowered him so that he is available on my board at that time when I'm drafting. Because I, in a vacuum, with no perception of ADP or where the market is, I would have no qualms drafting James Conner in the third or fourth round without hesitation. But he never goes there. I, I completely agree. And that's one of those things as we continue these drafts and learn a little bit more. It's like, oh, yeah, okay, so I can, I can wait a little bit more if I find value in James Conner. Uh, I can go ahead and get him. I bet you he's going to be one of your most rostered. I don't know if you do this, Jim, across all your leagues, but I always do a compilation of every draft I've done. And, I, you know, I tally which player and um, – Typically, it's the thing I tweet out at the end of the season and also the one that gets the most traction because you're like, oh, well, this sick goes in 16 drafts and he has Kyle Pitts in 10 of them. That's that's gross. Uh, why would he do that? And and that definitely hurt last year. <clears throat> Hopefully, it doesn't happen again. But, um, you know, I, I would be shocked if James Conner, especially with where he's going right now and the way the Cardinals continue to peel away at the top end of their roster, everyone's going to look at it. It's like, oh, well, they're, they're 
intentionally trying to lose. And it's like the Dolphins from Brian Flores' year a couple of years ago, or just a really bad team. You could have good players work to bad situations like that. And, and I think that's that's a key point again. So James Conner, Miles Sanders in a tier a little bit lower, but could be three down guys. I'm actually shocked to see how high you end up having Damian Harris to go a little bit further down in your running back rankings. You have met 30 overall. So David Montgomery, Jamal Williams, Samaje P. Ryan, all below Damian Harris. I don't like David Montgomery, but it's very clear the Lions are committed to him. It's possible he gets a certain workload. And certainly a guy like Samaje P. Ryan, who I believe is still going to be playing significantly for the Broncos to start. I don't believe Sean Payton is basically where I'm going with that. Jamal Williams is not going to be back right away. Uh, what's with Damian Harris being as high as he is in your rank? Yeah, it's a great question. I fully believe the Bills see James Cook as a receiving back, an explosive receiving back, but I don't think they want to give him more than five to seven carries a game. I think they want to manage him. They want him to be fresh and explosive. This Buffalo organization for years has been looking for running back to take the free yards that are there. They, the second-level runs are always there because Josh Allen is at quarterback and defenses have to fear not just Allen, but the downfield passing game. And so Devin Singletary got yardage but never took enough advantage of it. Zach Moss, same deal. Damian Harris has been running against stacked boxes in New England for years because the Patriots team that mostly he was on were not a big threat to throw the ball, especially the last couple of years since Tom Brady's been gone. And yet we've seen him. The yards per carry has dipped 5 Still good, though. But again, this is against stacked boxes. And he is going to have free second-level runs. And they will run the ball. And they're going to put Dalton Kincaid on the field more. And they're going to try to leverage defenses. They're going to put the two tight ends in, which could draw a little coverage. But the defenses still know they're going to pass the ball. I think Williams has, I'm Damian Harris, I'm sorry, has a lot of free yards. And I think that he is going to get enough red zone work. Josh Allen will certainly get his his share. But I think that in that offense, it's going to be so high volume, there's enough to go around. Yeah, uh, it's an interesting one, nevertheless. Again, Damian Harris, as your running back 30, you look at really the, like where the drop-off occurs. You have James Conner, 18, J.K. Dobbins, 19, in your Beach and Coventry draft from last week. They were going about the fourth, fifth round range. Um, then there's... Uh, DeAndre Swift at 22, who I, I like quite a bit. You have Damon Pierce, 21, Cam Akers, 20. I, I'm, you can't, you just are not going to talk me to Cam Akers this year. That's fine. And then it's like, that's the drop off because Joe Mixon, if he stays at the Bengals, fine. Maybe you rise him up a little bit higher. Even still, he wasn't all that great last year. Rashad White, I mean, that's, that's a starter for the Buccaneers, fine at 25. Javante Williams, Alvin Kamara, Isaiah Pacheco. It's like that, it's that running back 24 that there really is a clear drop-off. And, and it makes me concerned that uh, I want to be more aggressive getting at least one of those, if not two of those guys, uh, before we hit that tier. You know, Joe, you point out Isaiah Pacheco, and a lot of people are going to be high on him and are going to love him. What I'm worried about, he is a violent runner. He does not have a body to be a violent runner. And he had an off-season thing with his shoulder and didn't get talked about. I really worry that if they make him more of the guy, he is a breakdown candidate body-wise. I just do not see that running style holding up for long. Linebackers are going to read the books out on him already. So linebackers, no, he's not looking to evade you. So they are going to look to put the whoop on him. And he is going to be there to take that contact willingly. And I just don't think he's going to hold up. Before we get into the receivers, let's get to work from the sponsors. 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Circus Sports, the ultimate fantasy football draft can only take place in Las Vegas, Circus Resort and Casino, and they want to bring your whole league to Vegas with the ultimate fantasy football experience to Bring your 12-person league for a two-night stay at Circuit Resort and have your draft at the Cabana Stadium Swim, plus limo transportation to and from the airport, a welcome party at the Legacy Club, a booth at the world's largest sportsbook, and more. It's a prize package valued at over $8,000. There's no better place to draft than Circa Sports. You must be 21 years and older to participate. Go to CircaLasVegas.com, C-I-R-C-A, LasVegas.com for more information. Jim, you and I are now less than a month away from doing our drafts, and I think multiple at this point are going to occur at Circa Las Vegas. I'm excited for it. We've talked about the staff being fantastic as they were last year. Um, I think the atmosphere from a sports perspective is great. And we are only going typically during the home run derby and the all-star game. Imagine what it'd be like when you're in the swim, uh, swim pool, the big screen, watching week one of football season, stuff like that. Like that, this really is like the premier experience if you're into sports uh, and also into the, the Vegas part. That that's where I love Circa in that regard. Yeah, definitely take advantage and try to win this opportunity with Circa. And even if you don't win, go to Circa. Because like Joe said, it's like the mecca for sports these days. The stadium swim, that is the elite spot to watch sports. I'm right there with you. Um, All right, so let's go to the water receivers. So obviously, Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, Cooper Cup, Tyreek Hill, um, top four overall receivers. And I think that's, that's, for most people, the same. There's the A.J. Brown, CeeDee Lamb, Stephon Diggs, Devontae Adams, basically that late first, early second round tier. And you could maybe like move one up and one down for whatever your rankings are. I think for the most part, that tier remains the same. I think it's this tier of receivers, the Garrett Wilson, Amon Ross St. Brown, Jalen Waddell, T. Higgins group, that is the most diversive uh, of the like second to third receivers, second to third, I should say, receivers. I mean, I've seen Garrett Wilson go as early as pick 16. Uh, and I've seen Amon Ross St. Brown fall as late as the fourth round. And that was in a standard scoring league. Theoretically, the points per reception matters less, but he's going to be a factor offensively. Like, there really is a large movement, not just in where you rank these receivers, but how they relate to the rest of the draft board. Haven't, haven't you kind of noticed that too? 100%. Yeah. And I like what you said earlier about these different groupings of receivers, that they are quite a bit interchangeable. In my rankings, I want to point that out before we get into the, the teeth of this. If I have multiple drafts in one draft, I might take CeeDee Lamb. I might take A.J. Brown in another. It's very interchangeable. Joe, one player I want to point out, though, specifically before we get into this again, I did drop Devontae Adams a little bit. 
I did have him as my wide receiver five. The Jimmy Garoppolo news scares me. You know, if he's not going to be ready to go, I don't know who they're going to have a quarterback. And I trust Devontae Adams gets it done with anybody, but I don't want to make him a top four or five receiver if if they go a level below Jimmy Garoppolo. So I wanted to point that out first. Did you have thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I think we have to kind of see how that unfolds. Like if it is uh, Aiden O'Connell as your starting quarterback for the Raiders, yeah, no, absolutely not. But if it is Brian Hoyer, who, again, Josh McDaniels knows the system a little bit, I think Brian Hoyer is a veteran quarterback enough to know, oh, I'll go target my best guy and like find a way to get him open. We, we've seen in the past where not that Brian Hoyer is putting up fantasy numbers, but he sustained some of the top receivers with those Patriots times in the spot starts before where you're not totally upset. Yes, I, I would agree with you. I would be dropping him a little bit further um, than I, I would probably have A.J. Brown ahead of him and I have Stephon Diggs, but I think I would still have Devontae Adams over CeeDee Lamb because I am a little bit worried about what that Brandon Cooks factor for the Cowboys looks like and, and how much CeeDee Lamb will actually be involved if the offense is running the way they want to. And we've seen quotes from Mike McCarthy that he wants to run the ball more. In fact, that's why they fired Kellen Moore. And it's like, okay, yeah, Mike McCarthy, we know exactly why you're fired by the Packers. You're kind of dumb. You're making dumb statements. Yep, I get it. But that matters a little bit to me too when you have a guy like Brandon Cooks who prior to last year was a routine thousand-year receiver wherever he went. I think he's going to get back to that level. And I know Michael Gallup probably takes the biggest hit or the Dalton Schultz yardage takes the biggest hit, yada, yada. CeeDee Lamb's going to be a bit more of a factor, I think, too. So I, I would have Devonta Adams, even if Garoppolo is out over him. Uh, but I'm also assuming Garoppolo at some point will return. And, and maybe, maybe we shouldn't, given uh, the news that we've had thus far uh, in the early portion of June. So there's that tier of receivers. I don't know what to make about Devonta Smith. And I've seen everyone have Devonta Smith basically third round, right? Third, fourth round receiver. That feels awfully aggressive for a team that we know wants to run the ball, made a great addition with DeAndre Swift, has Rashad Penny, Jalen Hurts is still around. You can do the, the uh, QB sneak as well too. Still, there's no legislation that ruled it out yet. Like, I, I'm, I'm worried there's going to be a bit of a fall from the Eagles offense. And if for no other reason, they're going to be more efficient. Like maybe DeAndre Swift does continue to rip off uh, eight carries for 100 yards and there's less opportunities for Devonta Smith. Like, is there really room in the Eagles offense to have two top 20 fantasy wide receivers? You know, it's so tough to rank Devontae Smith because he saw at least eight targets in every game from week 10 through the Super Bowl, except the game against the 49ers when Brock Purdy got hurt and they didn't have to throw the ball at all. That game throw gets thrown out every time, but eight plus targets. And that was like 10 or 11 games. So based on that, you can't drop him much lower than I did it at wide receiver 15, because how does he not keep up at least that amount of target share? Right. Um, but again, AJ Brown, 1400 yard receiver. And you almost think that he even could get an expanded role. So it was very tough to rank Devontae Smith. I'm comfortable. I don't have any shares of him where I have him. Typically, I've taken receivers sometimes earlier, and then at the point where Smith's going, I'm taking a running back. So that's kind of how it's worked for me. But but I'm a little bit nervous that, is he going to keep up that eight-plus targets a game? But how does he not? So I, I have to have him where I have him exactly in my rankings. But But he's one that worries me, like you said. And if Goddard, 
Goddard missed time. That certainly helped Devontae Smith keep that target share. But do you think it can go down at all? Yeah, that's. I almost feel like we have to project what his ceiling is because we saw it last year. And again, 1,200 receiving yards, like maybe it could be more efficient with the receiving yards. Uh, but 136 targets, maybe 150, maybe that's maybe that's the ceiling, which, okay, great. But when you have A.J. Brown, you have Dallas Goddard, you have a, a running back group that can be involved passing-wise. I know that you wouldn't naturally assume Rashad Penny's going to get a lot of catches or uh, I, I like Kenny Gamble a lot. He'll be a pass catcher for them, same with Boston Scott, but you're only projecting X amount of it. And that's one of the things when you're doing these projections, you have to operate a little bit off the data we saw last year, which was peak Eagles offense. And I just wonder if we don't get peak Eagles offense, who takes the brunt of it? Is it Dallas Goddard? Maybe, but I think he has a function in that offense that, that remains. It, it's got to be Devonta Smith um, that I'll be a little bit concerned with. So he's your wide receiver 15. You have Chris Olave, wide receiver 14. Okay, fine. DJ Moore, 16. There's that group. I thought DeAndre Hopkins, for as much as you don't like him, and you think he's going to be falling off at wide receiver 22, sure seems like a pretty aggressive ranking for a guy that is not even on a team yet. Yeah, I mean, the players I have behind him, Keenan Allen is over 30 and missing time. Drake London, who I may move ahead of him, but right now, how much are they going to throw the ball? I, I think London's a superstar, but man, if if, if B. John Robinson really hits, how many pass attempts will there be? Terry McLaurin, they got Sam Howell at quarterback, Mike Evans, Baker Mayfield. I said that, you know, it's going to be fine, but he's not going to be like the Mike Evans of the 1300 yards or, you know, 1200 yards. We're not seeing that version of him. So it's this whole tier of receivers that Michael Pittman, Anthony Richardson is going to run a lot. Can he throw? So it's this whole tier of players. That's a mess. And so DeAndre Hopkins kind of fits right into that mess. He, wherever he goes, he'll get targets. I know that. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I, I mean, if it goes to the Chiefs, there's there's room to move up to like, a, I don't know, wide receiver or 13, right? In that Amari Cooper range, because that would be one of the clear targets you'd imagine. I know they have the MVSs and I love Rasheed Rice, fine, the Terry Stone, but like that, that is your clear target. If he goes to the Bills, we talked about a couple of weeks ago. I don't know. It's, it's not as easy to project. There has to be the right landing spots. I think right now where you have them at 22 is, is probably the safety net for a lot of the things. I was going to talk about two second-year receivers. You have Traylon Burks at uh, wide receiver 31 and Christian Watson 32. One of those guys might be a little bit higher than I would have, uh, and that's Traylon Burks, where I don't know what you're getting out of the Titans this year. Like, If you told me Derrick Henry got traded before week eight, I would 100% believe you. Uh, and if you told me that they were going to be trying uh, Will Levis or Malik Willis at some point in the season, I would 100% believe you. I'd probably put money on that. I would. I don't know if I'm getting plus odds at this point with the Titans, but I think there is a, a roller coaster ride we're going down right now with the Tennessee offense. And even still, we've seen receivers, especially good ones, benefit in bad situations. Drake London last year, you wouldn't have imagined we'd get over a thousand receiving yards, happened towards the end of the year. Amari Cooper, the same facet as well, too, in a Deshaun Watson, Jacoby Brissett offense that wasn't great. It wasn't horrible either, but like that's kind of how I'd imagine uh, you'd project Titans. So Traylon Burke's optimism at 31 feels apparent. And then also you're devaluing my boy, Christian Watson and what he did towards the end of the season for the Packers. So what's the juxtaposition on those? So Traylon Burks, the depth chart after him, Nick Westbrook, Akine, Kyle Phillips, Chris Moore, 
there's like nobody there. Chiggy Akankwa is going to be their number two, right? And as much as I like him, it's not a big threat to Traylon Burks. And Burks is like a big dude. It's like 6'2", 225. And they're going to run him in the slot. They're going to run him on in-breakers. And we actually saw him. He had missed weeks five through nine. Slow back, he played Denver the first game back, and that, those cornerbacks weren't giving up anything. But he comes back 111 yards, 70 yards. He gets knocked out of the Week 13 game on a 25-yard touchdown catch, his only catch of that game. Misses two more games, eased in the first game back, and then he comes back with a 66-yard game. Um, so, to me, he was showing the ability that he was on the track of being like an alpha receiver. But his the beauty of him is you can't really stop him because he's so big. He's going to leverage his body against yours. He's always going to have the ability to be open because you can't really out-physical him. And Ryan Tannehill right now, those are easy throws to make. And even if you know they had to put the rookie Will Levis in there, again, a huge target and easy throws. And Burks is so smooth after the catch. I mean, he really gets the motor going fast. And so I just think he's in a position with no other receivers on the team to speak of. I, I think that really helps him. Christian Watson, we saw Aaron Rodgers realize right away, oh my gosh, this guy can get open down the field. So Aaron Rodgers, and they were running a lot of two tight end sets. So they were seeing a lot of light secondaries. And so Aaron Rodgers had no problem throwing a ball to his big, fast, young receiver who was making it happen for a while. And then we noticed toward the end, the touchdown started slowing down. You know, defense started at least looking for him a bit more. I don't know what we have in Jordan Love. And I know people say, well, he had the one touchdown pass him against Philly. That game was weird. It was out of hand. Fine. But I don't know how much I trust Jordan Love. And Romeo Dobbs, I think he's going to improve. And he showed signs last year. And then they invested in the running and the wide receiver position in the draft. Uh, Reed, correct? Yep. Second round Reed. And then uh, Dontavian Wicks in the fifth round as well, too, who he might be that big body receiver as well. I mean, that, that's kind of like MVS uh, a little bit from a projection uh, standpoint. So Watson, yes, he's big. Yes, he's fast. But does he profile as that guy who's going to get 10 targets in a game? I don't know. And with the wide receiver, I don't know that he's commanding the target level. And that's my only concern. I think Rodgers gone takes some of that upside because Rodgers is very good at getting that ball downfield to him. So I, I, that's my only it's apprehension. It's it's uncertainty around him. If Rodgers was still there, Watson would be eight spots higher. Yeah, I, I understand um, where you're coming from. And I actually really, what that was to me was a, a Romeo Dobbs compliment, right? Because if, if you believe... Watson's not an eight to 10 target player. And I tend to agree with you. I don't, I don't know maybe certain games, but not consistently. Then Dobbs probably is going to be. And I, I thought at times when he was healthy last season, he was the easy best rookie receiver on the team. And it was really only when Dobbs went down with injury that we had Christian Watson emerge. Now the big play opportunities for Christian Watson is why I would still take him ahead of a number of receivers that you had a little bit higher up. Like uh, you just look at this group, like I'll, I'll Watson over Burks for sure. Uh, I'll take Watson over Marquise Brown, Watson over Jerry Judy, uh, and over Michael Pittman as well, too. Um, and, like, I, I know Sam Howell is a fifth-round quarterback. I think Terry McLaurin is really good. And and typically, the really good receiver wins out even when a bad target is throwing to him. And the same goes for Mike Evans. So that's where mine drops off, which is really only four or five receivers. 
but I would take him a full round higher than where he's going. So essentially, if I do end up having a receiver in that uh, fourth round range or fifth round range that I want to go after, it's not a running back. I think Christian Watson is probably my target um, in that sense. I want to give a little time to tight end, even though we've talked about a number of different depth options. Is there anybody else at receiver though, Jim, that uh, is worth mentioning that you're a little bit higher on than you feel like most are? I am higher on Chris Godwin than consensus, and he's going in the fifth or sixth round in most 12-team leagues. I get the Baker Mayfield thing. I, I get it. I get it. He's not a great quarterback. But like I said, Godwin is on schedule. Godwin is where he needs to be. He gets open lightning fast. Last year, he came back too early from a knee injury. He did catch 100 passes, and his yards per target was down because Tom Brady was just getting the ball out because he did not trust his line. But that said, Godwin still performed at a 71st percentile yards after the catch. And, and and I think he gets back to just being that monster after the catch. And he is going to give Mayfield a quick open receiver whenever he needs it, whether that's on the perimeter or in the slot, he can win in either place. And Godwin's an elite player. And I know there's been health history, but I do have him ahead. I have met wide receiver 21. I, I don't see how he doesn't catch a hundred passes again. But what he can do with those will be far better than last year because the yards per target was criminally low. It's like 7.5. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And then we had talked about DJ Chark a little bit last week when he took him in the uh, beat Jim Coventry Rotoware Online Championship. You're, you're pretty aggressively high in him. And I feel like what we're learning is you like the Panthers offense possibly more than I do. But if you think Bryce Young is the guy to start and there's going to be issues with that, there's enough offense to have Miles Sanders and Chark be successful in that regard. So um, certainly something to kind of uh, keep in mind for future weeks as well, too. So tight end, real quick with this, Jim. So obviously Travis Kelsey, number one. I think the actual interesting point, because you can like whatever tight end 11 through 18 you might like, that's fine. You might like multiple. We'll talk about a few in just a second. You're probably taking a tight end higher. It's going to be, when do you take that tight end higher? And I think a lot of people look at the, the base ADP and say, okay, Mark Andrews, third round. Okay, I got to have my tight end. I don't like any of these other guys. Fine. You actually have Mark Andrews fourth among your tight ends. Let's explain that process a bit further. Yeah, they just keep adding receivers in in Baltimore. And, you know, Rashad Bateman got hurt again, but he was really coming on. And you bring in Odell Beckham, and if he doesn't get the ball some, he's going to be complaining. He's going to make it a toxic work environment. You don't want that happening. You bring in the rookie Zay Flowers, and I still think this team is going to run the ball a good amount, not like the 54% back in the day, but close to half. And so my thing is, Andrews has been dependent upon elite target share. Remember, when it was him and Marquise Brown, Marquise Brown's a tiny dude. And so, like, Andrews was their physical presence at receiver, and he also had that chemistry with Lamar Jackson where he would just know to go downfield and get the longer passes. There's other receivers that are going to, like, be a big part of that mix, and it's got to be at Andrews' expense because he was, like, the guy. And we, I can't see him being the guy in that offense anymore. Yeah, I agree with you wholeheartedly. If, if Mark Andrews is being taken in the fifth round, like, it feels like we do every year with George Kittle, Fine. I, I would be very confident saying, okay, I'll, I'll pay a premium, which in the fifth round it is for 80 catches and 800 yards, which I, which I think is kind of like a floor. You could go a little bit less, right? But that's, that's, it's still Mark Andrews. It's still Lamar Jackson. You'll find a way to get him involved. But people aren't going to be taking Mark Andrews like that. They're going to be having him as probably number two or three tight end at most uh, out there. And, and we'll go earlier because they are worried about finding the veteran guys later on that they like or don't like. It's like, oh, no, I'll, I'll wait. So you have Hawkinson as your number two tight end. And if you flip him around, if you said Hawkinson is a fifth round guy, 
sure. I, I will completely buy that as well, too. Um, I think with Minnesota, if Jordan Addison isn't the guy right away, you're really going to have to have Hawkinson be a critical factor uh, for the Vikings offense if you assume they're going to produce the same way they did last year. Maybe you don't. Maybe maybe that's the thing. Like Kirk Cousins last year's contract going to fall off. Delvin Cook might not be there. There's a lot of reasons why do you assume the Vikings won't be as productive as they were last year. But if they are, TJ Hawkinson has to be a very critical factor for it. Hawkinson, aside from Kelsey, probably has the highest floor. And that's why he's number two. He was seeing eight to 10 targets in the majority of games once he went over. And he already has Kirk Cousins' trust. He already has a rapport with him. So Jordan Addison comes in and he's going to be fine. But TJ Hawkinson is a vital part of that offense already. And we already know the attention that Justin Jefferson is going to see. So Hawkinson is, this is a bad defense they have. And they let Zedarius Smith just go recently. So this defense isn't getting better. And so they're going to have to throw the ball a lot. And so even if Addison is a thing, Hawkinson, I don't see games with him seeing less than six targets. And so you're going to tell me a tight end, if I want a safe tight end, which that's rare, you don't get safe tight ends, but he actually is. Doesn't have the ceiling of what Kittle or Andrews or Goddard could potentially do, but his floor is so good. That's why I have him a tight end too. I, I wholeheartedly agree with that sentiment. I think it's more like if you're not going after Travis Kelsey, it might be TJ Hawkinson or bust. I mean, that, that might seriously be it. Like, I, I don't really want Kittle, the games that he's going to miss, and will he be consistent with Brock Purdy or Trey Lance? There's those those question marks of Mark Andrews to a certain extent, but people are going to take him way earlier than he's going to go. Dallas Goddard, Kyle Pitts, Darren Waller all kind of have their warts. And then you go further down the list, Evan Ingram, Pat Fryermuth. You, it's harder to talk yourself into what consistent production you're getting from them. We've mentioned a lot of tight ends that we like later on, Irv Smith quite a bit. Um, Chigi Konkwu, I, I think is really rising up the ranks, but is still a tight end two or like a round 10 or later selection. Um, I'm, I'm all in a Dalton Kincaid after we talked a couple of weeks ago about how the bills are going to utilize him in the slot. I, I think that's a valuable thing and where you're able to get him. You could probably just cut him if he isn't successful or somebody else will cut him and you can pick him up week five, week six and, and hope that maybe something turns around. Is there any other of these later on tight ends that we haven't mentioned in past broadcasts that you are confident saying I'm going to have a 15 to 20% roster share in redraft formats by the end of this, because I like rolling the dice on this guy uh, as my, one of my last selections in the draft. Yeah. And we haven't talked about Juwan Johnson a lot and I have as my tight end 12 and he was a converted college receiver. He was always on the career arc. He was not going to be very good in his first year or two. And maybe he never would have been, but he had a stretch of 50 yard games last year. He had a stretch where he was getting in the end zone regularly. He proved that he belongs. Now it's another year into his development. Derek Carr is a good thing for him. Derek Carr does not do well under pressure. And that Saints line is not the Saints line it was in years past. So the protection isn't going to be great. So he, uh, Derek Carr is going to look to get the ball out. The seam is going to be a productive place. Jawan Johnson is in line for a very good season. And we mentioned Irv Smith, like I said, the dart throw. But um, and Tyler Conklin, again, if you need somebody late, a second tight end, don't sleep on Tyler Conklin. Uh, he has Aaron Rodgers now. He's a very good receiver, Tyler Conklin is. He just has been in different situations and circumstances. But if they need to use the tight end, and he'll, clearly you'll have plenty of down games, but as that second tight end, Tyler Conklin's a very good player. Yeah, I don't even mind going further. We've mentioned uh, Jake Ferguson, hopefully the starting quarterback for the uh, quarterback uh, tight end for the Cowboys at past broadcasts. 
I think Tyler Higby as well, too. Uh, I, I don't believe the Van Jefferson hype, and I also think the Rams are going to stink, and I don't think Stafford plays the whole time. We've seen younger tight ends focus. I'm sorry, younger quarterbacks focus on the tight ends. So I, I kind of feel like Tyler Higby, so long as he's healthy, is going to have that same sort of value. A lot of people love Sam Laporta. Are you buying the Sam Laporta hype, or is it more like, I need to see it a little bit first in the Lions offense first? You know, we know this over the years. It's very rare when a tight end is a solid fantasy contributor as a rookie. It's usually the ones who are ultra elite. We very rarely see somebody who's not like a, an ultimate game changer come in and do damage in year one. The tight end position is so difficult to learn. It's difficult to be a blocker and then morph into a receiver at this level. And I think that's the disconnect where they come from college to go to the pros. And, and I just don't see Laporta as that player that's going to like break the mold. I mean, Michael Mayer, I suppress him a bit because it's going to be the learning curve. I think he's going to be just fine. But just we've seen too many circumstances of year year one tight ends not doing it. I don't think this is the outlier that we're going to bet on. Yeah, I don't mind Laporta in a certain instance, but I'll take Irv Smith every time. And Irv Smith was one of your last picks in a 20-round league with massive stakes in the line. So if Irv Smith is going at that point, why am I taking Sam Laporta you know, that later on, like it, it would have to be a pretty deep draft where I'm really kind of considering that. And you mentioned Michael Mayer real quick. I wholeheartedly agree. Um, I think a lot of people are lost, uh, got lost in the fact that they signed the Raiders did Austin Hooper and OJ Howard. Like no matter what Michael Mayer might do. And again, they traded up to get him in the second round or the, this was an early second round pick. There's going to be those tight ends that are factors. Like you, you don't have Austin Hooper and OJ Howard on your roster to do nothing. This isn't a virtual green or Trey McKinney situation where they're just like veteran guys that are blocking. No, they've proven it in the NFL. Uh, and I think there is a role that Cleveland McDaniels, the offensive coordinator and head coach, has in place for those guys. I, I don't I don't care for Michael Mayer. I will take Sam Laporta at a certain point, but not before Irv Smith, who I can get pretty later on. So that does it for us on the Wednesday edition of the Rotoware NFL podcast and brought to you by Circus Sports. Uh, we'll be back again next week. Thanks everyone for listening. time inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.